Well, good morning again. Do you ever ever get stuck knowing what step to take next? What the best step to take is uh, in the given moment? Whether Whether that's a big decision of life or a small menial task, that that stuck feeling has a way of immobilizing us from knowing what we are to do, where we're to go, or in extreme cases, who we are. Now, sometimes we get stuck because of fear or anxiety, maybe anger. or Sometimes we get stuck just because we feel lost. We're faced with that decision, that choice, the way to go, and feel like we just don't know what path to take, and it becomes very vexing and overwhelming. In your relationship, you might be faced with a choice to have a hard conversation or just to let it go, to start showing up differently for your partner or to choose to stay the course, to to let your children fail or to intercede and step in. You might be faced with a decision at work to let someone go or give them one more chance, take the promotion or stay put. Maybe in your personal life, you're conflicted about starting something new or about speaking up about something difficult with a friend or once again, just leaving it be. Now, some internet sources, which we know we can trust, estimate that an adult makes about 35,000 conscious decisions each day. And researchers at Cornell University found out that we make 226.7 decisions each day just on food alone. When I thought it was just nachos and cheeseburgers, apparently there's many more choices you can make. Now think about some of those choices you'll need to make in the upcoming week. What drives those decisions for you? What is the motivation behind your decision-making process? Is it the same foundation each time, or does it change based on the moment? Maybe in a sobering way, look back at the decisions that you've made recently, but the ones made from fear. Now, I don't care how strong you are or how muscular your calves are looking today, making decisions out of fear, whether that's the fear of not being accepted, fear of what might happen if, or or not being good enough thinking, it's disheartening and chips away at us when we make our decisions out of fear. And humans have been making decisions out of fear since the garden, when out of fear we thought maybe it would be better to be God, what it's like to be just a human or after the fact hiding behind a bush. Think about the decisions we made out of anger over the past week. Those ones that just seem to pop up out of nowhere. I'm tired and I snap at somebody who doesn't deserve it. I'm hungry and I do something I shouldn't. Someone did something to me and I haven't done anything about it yet, but now I choose to finally get them. Didn't take long for humans to start making decisions out of anger in the Bible, as we see with Abel's offering that was accepted and Cain's was not. And think too about the decisions that you made out of love. Maybe you checked in with a friend, a child, a spouse, instead of checked out. Maybe you went and read a book with the baby instead of going straight for a beer in the fridge when you got home. Maybe you put the shopping cart back, held the door open, picked up a shift for a coworker. I ask you, which of those decisions would you make again? Now, our Ephesians text today is all about what drives us to make decisions. What drives us to walk is the phrase that Paul's going to use. So if you've got your Bibles with you, open them up to Ephesians 4, because Ephesians 4 is what we're looking at today. Now, the words will be up on the screen as we go through them, but as always, it's so much better to have your own Bible out, marking it up, and referring back to it later. 
Now, this first verse in Ephesians chapter 4 is so important to understand, and so that's why we begin with it. Now, here we go. Let's dive in. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Paul has spent three chapters spelling out the goodness, the gloriousness, the vastness of God. And in great detail, he has shown us all that God has done, is doing, and will continue to do for us. And now Paul brings to us this call to live rightly. But he only brings it after explaining what God has done. Paul gets to the part about decision-making only after he has clearly communicated what God has decided to do for you. In Christ Jesus. See, we don't walk worthy so that God will love us, but because He does love us. Our motivation comes out of gratitude, not out of a desire to earn merit or to gain attention. It is as if the first step in walking is understanding who we are, that our foundation is in who we are in Christ Jesus, not who we were or what we think we should be, but literally who we are. Friends, it's difficult to make decisions, to walk, to act, to choose when you don't know who you are or why you're doing what you're doing. So Paul would have you know this is who you are, who you truly are, who you truly belong to. And he would have you know what it costs to make you belong to the Father. How it has been freely given to you, not by your choice, but out of grace. And Paul says, cling to that. Hold it and never let it go. Have that anchor you. And then he says, walk this way. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all, and in all. This worthy walk before God will be marked by humility and gentleness. Not a pushy desire for our our rights or advancing our agenda or using our status for our own advantage. In fact, in some translations, that first word humble there is translated as lowliness, which in many of our minds is a very bad association but is in fact a character trait that our Lord Jesus carried and one that he has called us to walk with as well. We are to be content with not being first or making sure that we always get our way, but through gentleness, being kind and compassionate, choose to see the best instead of always expecting the worst. We are to lower ourselves by stepping down from that self-made pedestal and instead choosing, like our Lord did, to serve and to give. That patience in bearing one another there in the text is as if Paul is saying, where you can take revenge, where it is in your power to get the last word, to get the final dig, to rightfully get even, don't. Instead, forgive and have a generous heart and start making your decisions out of love, the love that you have received and the Lord gave you is now the love we give simply because of what we have received. And that creates that generous heart, that kind, understanding, generous heart that is not selfish. A generous heart is anchored in the love of God. 
And when waves crash and storms come, it is unchanged. Romans 5.5 talks about how God pours His love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, gives us the ability to be truly generous. That generous heart is a lifestyle that is to permeate every area of our lives because freely we have received and so now freely we give. As we have received God's love, we can freely and generously give to others. It's simple. You cannot give what you don't have. So generosity comes from what is stored up in our hearts, including the love, gratitude, and joy that God gives us. It's why Jesus said in Luke 6, a good person brings good things out of the good stored up in their heart, and an evil person brings evil things out of the evil stored up in their heart. Generosity means giving from the heart. It's the giving of ourselves through our demonstration of love, compassion, and kindness. And it is far more than just our material possessions. It involves sharing the God-given and unique talents that each one of us have been given, the unique love we have, and sharing that in the places where God has put us and is sending us to. We have to be intentional in our giving or we miss those opportunities to be generous when the decisions come. We need to remember the foundation that we are built on. For when decisions come from that foundation, we make them out of love and the heart that we have been given. That's what is driving our work. It's not a one-time thing here or there, but it's a consistent pattern for living. Now take a look at this verse from Philippians and see if it looks a little bit familiar. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Sounds pretty familiar between Philippians and Ephesians. It's not one-time good advice, not when you get a chance to do this or some ideal that's a perfection but not really attainable. This is the way we are to walk. And as a dad of a little one who is taking those first steps, let me tell you, she teeters, she falls, she uses the couch to shuffle along my hands, she crawls when she's tired of walking, and man, no one should be able to crawl that fast, but she can do it but I raised one to walk. And I walk every day too. So she and I are going to keep going and getting after it because it takes practice and commitment. It takes the help of others, right? My wife's doing it too, her sister. It takes her watching others and seeing how they do it. It takes others supporting us. Unless we ever forget, it's about prayer. See, that's why when verses 2 through 6 in Ephesians come up again here, we see how important others are. That's why Paul's stressing the unity, the oneness. You see in verse 3 right there that we don't create the unity. Isn't that interesting? We keep it. Christ created the unity. If we created the unity or the oneness, <laughs> that'd be very bad. But we keep it. Because it isn't some structural unity of this is the only way that this works. We're not Mandalorians here. You must have this structure or this org chart, and then you have unity. This is a unity of faith. 
It brings people from all over, Jews and Gentiles alike, together, starting with believing in Christ as Messiah and then walking in his love. And you see the common areas that are most important, the body of Christ, the spirit of Christ, the hope we have in Christ, the calling given us in Christ. One Lord, one baptism, one spirit, one faith are far greater than whatever differences of race or economic status, age, gender, zip code, you name it. For if we are united in this way, then we respond naturally, step by step, walking in love. We make our decisions from the place of love. And in the moments of what direction should we take, how should we respond, who am I? We go back to the love that we have received and let it flow. For when the choices come, that's where we decide from place of love, not fear or anger or indifference, but we actively choose love and walk in it. And we express that love that we choose in patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And we direct that love to our relationships, our choices, and to ourselves. When love is used to make the decisions the difficult decisions, they don't go away. But the experience of walking the path is profoundly different. And above all, you find yourself anchored. You know why you chose what you did, and you know who you are. Because everything stems in the decision-making process from the love and the grace that we have received. Paul says, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. That's why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and then gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens to fill the universe. In case there was still doubt, Paul quotes the psalmist here and explains that the grace given to us, given to us is in Jesus, is the same no matter who you are. And now that he has ascended to the Father, the gifts by the Spirit that he gives are used to make the church better. None of us earned our gifts, nor do we deserve them, but the Lord has given them as he sees fit so that we are not jealous or feel left out because we didn't get a certain gift but instead can trust and know that each one of us has been gifted uniquely, has our own ability to love, that is entirely different yet serves the same purpose. These aren't birthday gifts or Christmas gifts for us. Our gifts are given to serve others. What makes you unique is supposed to support and help others. Your uniqueness is not made for you to stand out and stand above everyone else. Your intelligence is used to teach and instruct. Your strength is meant to support and defend. Your prosperity is meant to give to those in need. Your energy is meant to encourage and lift up. Your very life is meant to be given in service. Now, a little more for the tuition dollar here if we throw up the verses real quickly. Now, while some believe that the lower regions is hell, like Peter describes Christ going to in 1 Peter chapter 3 and 4 and was prophesied in Luke 4 and Isaiah 61. Did you get all that? Yes? That's why we say he descended into hell when we sing the creed. Here, it just means earth. Anyways, the focus here is that the gifts that he has given to his people are to fill the whole universe. 
His light inside of us, the one that we share and shine, is greater than the light of the stars. We'll be seen for all time, always. I did it. Worked in a Loki reference. You didn't think I could, but I did. The light and the love of Christ fills the darkness of this world. Friends, that is such powerful energy. Darkness can do nothing to the light. Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body may be built up until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature and attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. It doesn't matter what role you have or what gift you have. Paul mentions a few here, yeah, but regardless, they are for one purpose, to equip and to build each other up for works of service. In the Greek, that word for equip there was to put right, like setting broken bones for a fisherman mending a broken net. We are to support each other and help make each other fit and strong and mended where we are broken. Which leads me to ask you, where do you want to serve? What decisions will you make coming out of here? Will you say, I'll serve, but I'm waiting for someone to personally ask me. I'll serve, but going to the website, signing up, that's just a little bit too much work. Sending an email to get plugged in, that's a few too many steps for me. Friends, you know that wherever you join, whether that is distributing communion, passing out bulletins, collecting the offering, passing out food on Saturday, visiting the sick and hurting, you are making the body of Christ stronger. You want to help mend those who are broken? You can ask Aaron in the back about our Voldemort children ministry, what it means to bring a meal to the family, to help drive a child to soccer practice, to give a caregiver a break for a few hours while you offer to child care. Those small decisions that you make out of love, have a profound and deep impact on the ones that you serve. And we are called to pray for each other too in that service. I've seen the prayers. I know how long it takes to read the names. I've had to stand, try to stay focused while we're saying all these names and not check out. But those names have been chosen to put on that list because they believe that when others gather and unite their hearts to say their names before the Father, that it will be heard. We are in this to love each other, to serve each other, to choose and make decisions for one another, to create a Christ-centered community here. And when we do that, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming or maybe in our own minds. Instead, speaking the truth and love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of Him who is the head, that is Christ. From Him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. The body is a fantastic image. It's not a pyramid with someone on top telling everyone what to do. It is Christ Jesus, the living head, flowing through the rest of the body so that each piece plays a part in His mission. 
each one of us helping to bring the restorative hope of Jesus. And through knowing and understanding the truth and serving and living in love to one another, we make our decisions, we walk in ways not out of fear or anger or anxiety, but out of the foundation of the love that we have been given. And as the band makes their way back up and we get ready, that's you guys, as we get ready to, as one body come to the one body given to us. And as we leave here, walking in that wath, walking in that path, then, then we will be like Peter, called out of the boat, walking on the waters of the waves that would toss you to and fro, eyes fixed on Jesus, hands extended, ready to serve, ready to love, together as one.